guys doing good tonight? Good. Sounded like it. It's good to know that Jesus is leading us, isn't it? I like that song. He'd been leading me a long time, and I knew he was going to keep leading me until he leads me to his throne room one day with all of us, man. We'll be celebrating and rejoicing and singing worship songs for the rest of our lives. Aren't you guys looking forward to that? I tell you, I am. Well, tonight we're going to get into uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I've got verses 1 through 8 that I'm going to be going through. And I always kind of like to back up just a little bit just to kind of recap what was going on, that section in uh, chapter 9. Who taught that last week? Who? Jeremy? Okay, good. I'm sure he did a great job on that. Paul talked on the subject of giving. Matter of fact, I used this kind of section right here when we were going through that series, and uh, we were talking about finances and talking about giving, but he did. Paul really got down to talking about giving, and he talked about how we need to be prepared to give. Jesus gave, we need to give, don't we? I mean, that's the kind of life that we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have a plan. That's what he spoke to the church at Corinth, that you need to be consistent, that you need to be cheerful when you give. Sometimes people aren't too cheerful when they give, but the Bible says that, you know, if you can't be cheerful, then don't give. It's all about our hearts, guys. That's what it is. And the great thing about that, when you do give, that you get enriched, you get blessed. You really do. I don't know if you've ever been on, on the end of receiving, you know, when someone gives, and it's just wonderful, but I'm going to tell you, if you're the one giving too, it's a great blessing. And when you see a person's eyes just light up when maybe you, you hand them something that they didn't have and they really, really needed, boy, you get enriched, you get blessed. And our giving is really a, a, a source of, of thanksgiving, and our giving, it glorifies God. That's what it does. Tonight, as we look at chapter 10, Paul kind of changes his tone a little bit. He truly does. He heads into a section in chapters 10 through 13, uh, and after talking about giving, now he kind of begins to speak a little frankly and a little harshly with the Corinthian church. And that's not always easy to do. But he was really going after the false teachers that were there in the church stirring people up and saying a lot of things about Paul that really weren't truthful. They were bad-mouthing him. That's what they were doing. And it happens to leaders. I don't care. You know, if, if you're the best leader in the world, you're going to get bad mouth from time to time if you're doing the right thing. That's just how it is. And it's amazing that uh, Paul's trouble came within the church, not really outside the church. And usually the church doesn't get bothered too much by the outside. It's usually internal stuff is where it happens. And that's unfortunate. But it usually happens because people are influenced and they're used by Satan. People can be used by Satan very, very easily if they don't watch out. Paul, in chapter 10, as we look at, Paul begins to defend his authority, his apostleship, his calling that God had given to him in his life. And you guys got to remember something. This church that we're talking about tonight, this is the church that he founded with his own hands. This is the church that, that, that boy, he gave sweat and blood I mean, he worked all during the day and ministered at night, ministered during the day when he had time, and probably led many, many, many people to Christ, many, many people to Christ. But there was something going on inside this church. There was kind of a stirring against Paul. Paul was caught in a great war with these false teachers. 
He truly was. And, you know, you guys already know, I came out of the Jesus movement kind of in the 70s and all of that. Man, there was so much false teaching that was out there because God's truth was being brought out in such a forceful way that the enemy began to just bring more and more false teachings to get people distracted and away from the truth. We don't see that as much anymore, but it still goes on. They were trying to discredit his authority as an apostle. He describes the weapons that he was to use when he fought against his enemies here, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. And as I said before, leaders have enemies. They really do. And then we're going to look at the purpose of leadership or the purpose of authority, I should say. This verse I'm going to look at tonight, boy, it bounced off of the page at me a while back ago. And I had read it probably over and over again so many times, but it just jumped off the page. So we're gonna, I think we're going to get our tanks filled up a little bit tonight. So let's stand up and let's honor God's word as, we, as I read through these first two verses and then we get into the scriptures. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and the kindness of Christ, though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. Well, I am begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We truly do. What a powerful thing it is, Lord. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces deep down into our souls, Lord. It causes us to live right. It tells us how to live right, Lord. Speak to us tonight. Give us insight. Give us understanding. Transform our life as the word goes into our life. I'm thankful, and I know that this word, Lord, on its own, as it's brought in as a seed in our life, it can make tremendous changes in our life. It can change our thinking. Open your word tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul appeals to this church, and and that word that he uses there for appeal is is a strong emotional word that is used preferred. If you Romans chapter 12, we lost. There we go. Romans chapter 12, it's, it's that same word where he says, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice. It's a strong emotional appeal. And what I see in Paul, and I love talking about Paul, I said before, he's my hero. He's a good leader. He truly is. He has a heart for the people of God. He has a heart for this congregation of believers that are there. And, and, and like a good parent, he wants what's best for them. Parents, don't you guys want what's best for your life? Of course you do. And so many times they don't think what you want them to do is the best thing in their life. When you get older, they'll realize, wow, mom and dad kind of knew what they were talking about. Leaders want what's best. And Paul appeals to them as Jesus would with gentleness and kindness, with compassion. Although he was a soldier for God, he had great compassion as a soldier. And I think as soldiers of Christ, we have to have compassion. Compassion for the people that God brings into our life, the people that we live around, having compassion for them. But he comes to this church And he says, I'm coming just like Jesus with gentleness and kindness. And listen, we're always to operate in love and grace. Our pastor said that on Sunday morning. I said, wow, that fits in right with what I'm trying to say here. 
And sometimes with that love and grace, you know what we need? We need mercy. And there's a difference between mercy and grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is, getting, is not getting what you do deserve. And what I mean by that sometimes is that sin, sometimes there is discipline that comes into your life or there's punishment for that. And when God gives you mercy like he gave to King David in his sinful act, he didn't kill him. And he had a right to do that. That's mercy. And thank God for that mercy that we get from time to time. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery? Remember the people? Boy, they just wanted to stone her. And you know what? The law of God said they could do that. That was the punishment for adultery back in those days. God didn't want people living in adulterous lifestyles. But it isn't amazing how Jesus ministered to that woman. He loved her. He loved her. That's what he did. He loved her, guys. And that's what we need to do. We need to love sinners because we're sinners too. Remember what Jesus said to them after, you know, for a long, long time and everything? They all left. And he basically was teaching her that they're a sinner just like you. And he says, I'd love you. He says, but go and don't sin anymore. Stop sinning. He loved sinners. He hung out with sinners. We should hang out with sinners. They shouldn't be the ones we're always hanging out with, but they're definitely, we should be, have some sinners in our life, just like ourselves. We need some unbelievers in our life. We truly do. I love it. I mean, sin, sin harms us, guys. It harms our relationship with God, and it harms our relationships with others. One way or another, it truly affects us. It truly does. Don't think that it doesn't. These teachers were saying that Paul was two-faced, that he was two-faced. I tried to find a picture on, on the web, but couldn't find a good one, so I didn't put it up there. There were some pretty hideous ones, so I didn't want to put those up there. But saying he was, he was two-faced, that he wasn't genuine, that he was a hypocrite, and that's what a hypocrite is, isn't it? It's someone who really isn't genuine. He kind of says one thing, but really isn't that. They said that he was timid, that he was weak when he was present. But... Uh, Excuse me, that he was timid and weak when he was present, but he was bold when he was absent. That he would back down when he had face-to-face confrontation with people, that he didn't do that. I don't think they remember what happened in Galatians chapter 2. You know what, you know what Paul did? Paul rebuked Peter right to his face. Face-to-face confrontation with the man because he wasn't living right. He was acting as a hypocrite. Paul sent a a bold, rebuking letter. And you know what? We don't have it. We don't have it. I tell you, Pastor, I wish I had that letter. I wonder what it would say. But it was a very bold and probably a very, very harsh letter. It's lost. And and I suspect that God believed we probably didn't need it in the the canonization of our scriptures or it would be here. There are other books probably that were lost that didn't get in here, but we know for a fact that that one didn't. So it was a harsh letter, and that's what these teachers were saying, saying, you know, you do these harsh letters, but then when you come to us, you're just like gentle like a lamb. You know, you don't get in our face. You, you, you don't get on us. Paul didn't want to get in their face. I don't think any leader or any pastor really loves to get in people's faces. You just don't want to do that. You truly don't. He's trying to convince them to take heed to his words now. 
That's what he's trying to say here to them. So he wouldn't have to be bold when he comes the next time. He goes, I, I, I don't want to do that, guys. I just want to just talk with you and just, you know, talk about the things that God's doing in your life and in my life. I got a, a grandson. I think I got a picture of that cute little dude. Four years old. Love of my life next to my wife. Truly is. But you know what I'm finding out? He's four years old, about four and three months. And I'm finding out as he gets older and older, grandpa's got to get a little more firmer with him sometimes. <laughs> he kind of pushes grandpa a little bit. And I, and I tell you what, you know, grandmas and grandpas, you get to spoil them. I give him anything he wants. I really do, almost. And his mom and dad, they know it. My son knows that. But sometimes, boy, he pushes me. He does. And I'm starting to find that out. And, and I'm having to be firm with him. Kind of like Paul was having to be firm with them. You know, disciplining kids, it's not enjoyable, is it? It really isn't. I hated doing that, disciplining my kids. But you know what? My Bible said that if I love them, I would discipline them. That, that's a sign of showing that you love your kids, that you really, truly discipline them. If you aren't disciplining them, you're missing out. You truly are. God disciplines us because we're his sons and daughters, doesn't he? He spanks us from time to time. You know, I shouldn't say that word. I guess I can't say that. But he does do that. He truly does. I just want to have fun with that little guy. That's all I want to do. We just want to sit down, go eat fruit, go down and pick some apples and just have a great old time. I love it. I'm, I'm dragging him along on my... I'm a surfer, you know, so I'm dragging along on my, on my skateboard nowadays, and the little guy's doing pretty good. I'm loving that. But these false teachers, they spoke so terrible of him. They made up lies about him over and over again. You imagine what that must have felt like? I pastored 18 years. I tell you what, I had, I had my critics. I had people that said some things that weren't truthful. And that's not, it's never fun to, hit, to get those things in your life. Whether you're a leader or not, you guys know what that's like. People say things, and they lie about us from time to time, and that's unfortunate. They said that he was walking according to the flesh. That's what the New American Standard Bible says. And really, uh, what, what it's really trying to say here is, is that he was walking in the, that base sinful nature. In other words, it's kind of like when, when he left them, he lived a very sinful life. A very lustful, sinful life. That was so far from the truth. That's not how Paul was. But these guys were making up lies, trying to tear down what? His credibility. His credibility. These false, false teachers didn't like what Paul had to say. <laughs> they didn't. Because you know what? I was thinking about that today as I was kind of looking over my notes. I was saying, he talked about you can have freedom in Christ. And they wanted to keep people bound up and religious things, and all of this stuff, all of this stuff, and he didn't want that. They said that his motives weren't pure, that he wasn't on the up and up, that he had human motives. In other words, he was doing it for personal gain. Well, I look at that, and I go, no, he worked. He didn't even, he didn't even get money from, from the churches. He didn't want to be a burden on them. So it wasn't from personal gain, like they said. It wasn't for prestige. It wasn't for, for status. He didn't care about those kind of things. He truly did. And leaders, I'm going to tell you, the leaders in our church here, you need to watch out 
for doing ministry for the wrong reason. Don't ever do it for the wrong reason. It's not for a pat on the back. It's not for a title. It's not for a position. It's just because Jesus says, come and serve me. Just come and serve me. That's all. I do what I do because Jesus said, Randy, I want you in my service. Come and follow me. Will you do that? That's what it's for. Well, let's go in verse 3 here. So Paul's motives were true. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture, notice that, we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. I kind of like the New American Standard Bible in the King James. It talks about that. He says, you know, walking in the flesh. And remember, they're trying to say, yeah, Paul walks in a very sinful way. And Paul's saying, no, I do walk in the flesh, but I don't walk that way. I don't let my flesh control me. I don't let the sinfulness of this flesh take control of my life. I don't allow that to happen. He doesn't wage wars the humans do. It's kind of an interesting way they do that in the New Living Translation. The humans do. The unbelievers is kind of what he's talking about there. They wage war, and that's what he's talking about here. The whole connotation here is a soldier engaged in military activity, and, and Paul is very mindful as he's writing this to the Corinthians that he's a soldier and that they are soldiers in the army of God. Remember Onward Christian Soldier, that old song? Wow. Used to sing that a lot. Jeremy ought to do that. He loves doing those old songs. But he doesn't battle using fleshly weapons. And you know what the world uses? These fleshly weapons I was thinking about. I was going, what are the things that the world uses? Deception, deceit, manipulation, slander, lies, schemes, half-truths, and domination. That's what the world uses. Those are the weapons that they use when they go after people, they attack people. Social media, Facebook, people's lives have been destroyed because of that. You know, one thing my brother-in-law said to me, my fly fishing buddy, lifelong buddy, he says, man, you know, he's talking about the internet. He says, it, it, it's so awesome, but it's so evil too. And the same thing with Facebook. It's great. You get to connect to people, but man, it can be so evil and so hurtful, can't it? You can say things, and they're so damaging to people, unrepairable almost. People have committed suicide by the things that people have said on Facebook. That's unbelievable, the power that that can have. Well, they were saying bad things about him. And you know, non-Christians, they don't get to use the weapons that you and I get to use. They really don't. Paul believed that he wasn't fighting against flesh and blood wasn't fighting against people. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 in the Phillips translation. I love this translation. It says, in conclusion, be strong, not in yourselves, but in the Lord, in the power of his boundless strength. Put on God's complete armor so that you can successfully resist all the devil's craftiness. 
For our fight is not against any physical enemy, it's against the organization and powers that are spiritual. We are up against the unseen powers that control this dark world, arid spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. And then verse 13, he talks about the armor of God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Therefore, we must wear the whole armor of God that you may be able to resist evil in its day of power. And that even when you have fought to stand still, you may still stand your ground. And that hit me last night when I was looking over my notes. That when you've got nowhere to go, you still stand still. And you could still battle from where you are if you're backed even into a corner. 14. Take your stand then with the truth as your belt, integrity as your breastplate, and the gospel of peace firmly on your feet. Salvation as your helmet, and in your hand the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Above all, be sure that you take faith as your shield, for it can quench every burning missile the enemy hurls at you. And all your petitions, petitions, pray at all times with every kind of spiritual prayer, And then listen to this, keeping alert and persistent as you pray for all the Christian men and women. We got to look beyond people. That's what we have to do. That's what he's trying to show this church here in Ephesians when he was talking to them. Look beyond people, look beyond circumstances, because there's something spiritual going on there. There's some forces of darkness that are at work there. Satan uses people. He truly does. He uses them for tools of destruction. That's how he does it. He doesn't supernaturally, you know, do weird stuff out there. He doesn't have to. He just influences people to do his dirty work. That's what he does. He's been doing that since he got thrown out of heaven, however many thousands and thousands of years that was. Paul's adversaries, his critics, okay, um, with the help of Satan, they were teaching error. They were teaching error to this Corinthian church. He'd gone in there, given them the word of God, Old Testament, built a great foundation, and these men came in there and they started teaching error. They started teaching error. They started distorting the truth by adding and taking away from the Bible. And listen, Satan doesn't care what error people buy into. I'm going to say that again. Satan doesn't care what type of error it is that people buy into. He doesn't care. Mysticism, philosophy, religion, I could go down a whole list. He doesn't care, guys. You know why he doesn't care? Because error, what it does, it keeps people from the truth. That's what it does. And what he was basically doing and what Satan does, he gives people everything that they want to hear that attracts them away from the word of God and from the truth, whatever that might be. What, whatever they, they, they kind of enjoy, he'll bring some kind of error into their life that'll pull them away from the truth of God. And as you come and you're sharing the truth with them, they said, oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Paul says in verse 4 that he uses God's mighty weapons. New American Standard Bible says divinely powerful ones, not worldly ones, powerful ones. Did you notice that he doesn't mention what they are? But in this previous verse, he he talks about putting on the, the whole armor of God. We have that picture up there, that slide, the armor of God. There you go. 
And I can't really read what's on there, and I'm not going to go through there and read that. If you guys want to pick that up, there's some good stuff on there. Go on the web, and you'll find it. But the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of good news, shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, you can use that offensively or defensively. And then I, I, they don't even put that under, but I tell you what, I see prayer and being alert and being persistent as, as part of an important thing that when we fight against the things of the enemy, being alert, don't being caught off guard. When you sense maybe something is a little bit wrong or something, that might just be the Holy Spirit saying, this isn't right, this is error, this isn't a good thing. John Trapp said this, he was a commentator back in the 1600s, and he says this, this, this was great. Our spiritual weapons are scorned by the world, but feared by demonic powers, feared by them. When we fight with truth, righteousness, evangelism, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer, no principality or power can stand against us. Nothing can stand against us. We sing songs about that, guys. Nothing's going to stand against us. As the spittle, and this is a part I don't get, as the spittle that comes out of the man's mouth slayeth serpents, so doth that which proceedeth out of the mouths of God's faithful ministers quell and kill evil imaginations, carnal reasonings, which are the legion of domestic devils that hold near intelligence with the old serpent. Wow, that's powerful. It truly is. Can, can we put that armor back on there real quick? I'm going to do a little table talk with you guys. Sometimes I don't do this because you guys get too out of control. <laughs> It's not for the next 15, 20 minutes, only for a small minute, guys, okay? If you just turn to one person, it will go quicker. But with that armor of God up there, what part of that armor aren't you using right now, and why aren't you using that? Share that with somebody. Look at it. What part aren't you using, and why aren't you using it? What part?
All right, a few more minutes. All right. All right, here's what these, uh, the weapons are used for. Can we put up that uh, next slide, the fortress? There you go. This is Antonio Fortress. It was built in 35 B.C. and it was destroyed in 70 A.D. Huge, really, really big. Well, this is what it's for. I think we've got an overlay on there. Great. Here's what the weapons are used for. To knock down strongholds of human reasoning. That's what it's for. Those things that counterdict the truth of God's word and who God is. Those fortresses, those religious, non-religious, those methods, those schemes that are out there, that's what those weapons are used for, to destroy false arguments, to destroy proud obstacles, to capture rebellious thoughts. It's an interesting word that it uses there about capture. It's, it's getting somebody with the spear and taking them captive. That's what it's for. You know, I, I said this a while back ago, and hopefully you picked up on it, but the world has a different value system, guys, than we do. It has different thinking than we have. That's why the Bible says that when you come to Christ, we're, we're supposed to renew our minds. They begin to start changing. The value system, the thinking of the world is to, to get washed out of our minds, to get cleansed from our mind. And what Paul's trying to say here, this is the stuff that, that they were bringing into this church, and he's saying, I'm taking this stuff and I'm knocking this down. I'm using these weapons to destroy these things that are out there. This world is so full of those things. Second Corinthians, we're going to go back again in the New American Standard. I like what it says here. I just want to do it again. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations little different than what it says in the New Living. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all uh, disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Paul was giving them time to repent before he came. He's saying, guys, you got to get right. I don't want to come in, and I don't want to deal harshly with you. And listen, to win this battle... To win this battle over these things, we got to use spiritual weapons, guys. You can't do it with worldly weapons. You can't do it with human weapons. It's not going to work. You've got to do it with spiritual, supernatural, heaven-sent, heavenly-charged from, from God's arsenals. 
That's the only way you're going to win those kind of battles. Those thinkings, those, the destruction of, of those fortresses. And the Roman Empire destroyed fortresses like that because they were determined to destroy them. And they mounted an assault against them. They, they just didn't stand back and just let them fall. They had to do something. And, and I think what I, I'm hearing the Lord say is, you know, we, we have all of this stuff that, that we're facing in the world, all of this thinking, this reasoning, this, this humanity, all of this stuff, and the church is just sitting there just letting it go. Where you work, where you live, where all of those places, those are the places we begin to use those weapon, weapons that he's talking about to capture and destroy those anti-God kind of thoughts and bring them into submission to the obedience of Christ. One day every knee's gonna bow and every tongue's gonna fest that he's Lord. One day they will know that he is Lord. We know he's Lord, they don't know that he's Lord. But one day they will. Verse seven and eight, and then we'll get this wrapped up here. Look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. Authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. Paul says, look at the obvious facts. What they were doing is they, they were looking at outward appearances. And you know it and I know it, that outward appearances sometimes can be very deceiving and misrepresent truly what a person is. You know what I mean? When, when you just first look at somebody, it just doesn't happen. I watch, uh, I wasn't even going to say this, but uh, I watch uh, Survivor. I'm a Survivor fan. Been forever and ever. And, and, and it just came to my mind one time, they, they had to pick their own team and people make a judgment on who they think they should work with and who they don't. They, they, they do that. They looked on the outward appearance and just thought this person's going to be like that. They were so deceived. Some of those people weren't anything like they thought they were going to be. Paul seemed very unimpressive. He truly was. He wasn't a very eloquent man. He wasn't bold spiritually, it seemed, uh, as those false teachers, probably not as harsh to them as they were. I read something just recently that, that he really wasn't a very handsome man and that he was probably bald and kind of short and not too good looking. You know, he wasn't one of these great-looking model kind of guys, so people really, you know, had a hard time with that. Us being humans, we kind of go by those appearances, don't we? Boy, if they look good, I'm going to follow that guy. But boy, if, if they don't look good, I don't think I want to follow that person. Some of the greatest teachers that there have ever been are really not very good-looking men or women. I wonder why God does that. I'm handsome, but, you know... <laughs> Or at least my wife thinks I'm handsome. She's not here tonight. She's already sleeping. But Paul was a very humble man. And when he's talking about boasting there, listen, he's being sarcastic because he was such a humble man of God. He was such a humble man of God. He truly was. He wasn't going to boast about his authority, but he's just being sarcastic with them. Paul's prepared to deal with problem people in the church. And I'll tell you what, pastor... Every church has problem people. That's just how it is. Satan makes sure they're in the church. He truly does. To stir things up. Because I, as I said to you guys before, 
It's not from outside that we have trouble. It's usually from inside. It's that stirring that goes on. And that's what was happening to this church in Corinth. And poor, poor Paul, his heart was probably being broken as he saw this church falling into these kind of things. And I tell you what, one thing I've learned is people used by the devil usually don't see it. They don't know it until much later, if ever. They truly don't. It's unfortunate, but that's, that's really the truth. Paul's authority came from God. It was part of his calling as an anointing. And, and true spiritual leaders, I'm going to tell you, it's evident in their life. You know it. You know there's a call on their life. You know there's an anointing on their life. You know it. You can sense it. It's your spirit saying, that guy's right on, or that woman is right on. They come from me. I've sent them to do this work. That's what Paul was trying to appeal to them, saying, look, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it because he's told me to do that. That authority that he talked about here, and we're getting close to wrapping up, was to build people up. Build people up. Authority. Not to tear them down, but to build them up. And I'm going to tell you something that I've seen. I've been part of the church for a long time. I was part of a denomination. I was ordained in for 30 some odd years. And I tell you, I, I've seen a misuse of authority a lot of times. And it's terrible when you see that. It truly is. It, it, it boy, it, it's damaging. It truly is. Remember Mars Hill? Some of you know about Mars Hill and the church up there and the pastor up there. Boy, he got caught up in the misuse of authority in just a tremendous way, and it was devastating, just devastating. Hurt very many people, and he had to step down because of that. That's not what authority is for. It's to build people up. It truly is. Almost wrapped up here. I've got a thing on the carnal use of authority and the spiritual use of authority. The carnal, the human way, is to overpower and to dominate and manipulate and outmaneuver. That's what the world does with authority. That's what your boss does to you from time to time, probably, where you're working. The spiritual way, the Jesus way, is to humble yourself, die to self, and let God show his resurrection power through you. See, that's the servant way. That's saying, I'm coming to serve you. You need me to get down on my knees and wash your feet, I'm going to do that. It's not to start demanding and, and just barking at people to do the things that you want them to do, to get you somewhere where you think you're supposed to go. These false teachers, I'm telling you, they weren't in Christ. They truly weren't. They weren't saying and they weren't doing the right things. Paul was doing the right things and he was doing it for the right reason. And I think we need to ask ourselves, are we doing things for the right reasons? Are we? We need to think about that. I need to think about that when I do things for the Lord. Am I doing that? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're leading us, that you're guiding us, that you're directing us. Help us to ever stay so close to you, Lord. Help us to pray, pray, and keep praying. I pray you'd give us insight on how we're supposed to pray, Lord. I know that you want to speak to us, Lord. I know that there's situations that people are facing in this place today. And the Lord says, just come to me. I'll tell you exactly how you need to pray about this thing. And when you do that, you're going to see some great and mighty things happen. 
Make us aware of those thoughts and those reasonings and, and those philosophies and those strongholds that need to be torn down, Lord, in the places maybe where we work, where we live, maybe even our own life. Lord, there's some of these strongholds, these things that are anti-God, that are, that are pulling us away from you rather than closer to you, Lord. Help us to see those things, Lord. I pray for your church, Lord. I bless them now in Jesus' name that they would walk with the whole armor of God. As they walk out of this place, Lord, they will be equipped for everything that they face, Lord. That they will look beyond people and circumstances and see that their battle, that the war that they're in, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual things. Help them, Lord, to use the weapons. You've given them to them, Lord. May they now walk in that power. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys.